Welcome to Better Words, a podcast for readers who want to know the stories behind the pages. We're your hosts, Caitlin and Michelle, two book nerds who bring you in-depth conversations about writing and publishing from those on the inside. Basically, we're just here to talk about books. We're so glad you're joining us. Hello, welcome back to Better Words. Caitlin, how are you? I'm very well. I'm hungry. I'm about to eat my dinner. <laughs> Sorry. Tonight. We usually record on a Monday morning UK time, uh, Monday evening Australia time, but um, Jack has the day off work, so we didn't set an alarm and after line of duty last night, I just went to sleep and just sort of was like, yeah, I'm going to have a, I'm just going to have a sleep in and I opened up my phone this morning and it was and like, I'm like, I'm ready when you are. And I was like, Oh, that was an hour ago. <laughs> and like, I Sorry. am not the type of person, you know, I'm not someone who has dinner at like 6 PM every day, you know, sort of thing. Most days I'm not even home by then, but like yeah. I messaged you and then was like, I'm just going to start making dinner. So I made it. And now we're recording. So it's like sitting out there waiting for me. And I'm like, I want to eat it. So fun fact, this is also the last intro that we'll record in England, where I'm in England. Our last international recording, like, well, I'm going to say ever, but like at least for a a while. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Between us. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. I hadn't actually thought about that. I knew that obviously where this is our last episode of this current season and we're wrapping up because Michelle is coming back to Australia. But yeah, I didn't actually think like, oh, last international introduction. Yeah. But we're still going to be recording virtually, obviously, because we're going to live in completely separate places in Australia. So (laughs) Yeah, I know. What's the difference, really? We could be anywhere right now with these white walls behind us. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, my wall's even wider because we sold our couch the other day. So there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing nothing back there. Nothing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So it's a very, very stressful, very, very stressful week for me. Um, And... Yeah, just trying to coordinate people buying things on Facebook Marketplace and everything, as I mentioned last time. Um, so, yeah, it's quite stressful. And um, this weekend we had, like, visits with visits with friends that was lovely but ended in a lot of tears. So, yeah, it's just – it's very emotional. But yeah. we still have a few more weeks here. It's just that we wanted to wrap up the season before I packed everything up and – moved in with our friends so yeah yeah and speaking of you know having some emotional time I believe your recommendation is quite an emotional dramatic one (laughs) Michelle so why don't you start yeah Yeah, so if you want to cry as much as I did on the weekend um you could watch it's a sin or you could move internationally it's your choice um (laughs) yeah so I'm recommending it's a sin which actually came out right at the start of the year here in England and it was on um, every Friday night I think there's five episodes and I believe it's on Stan in Australia yes it is so it's at the time when it came out we watched the first episode and then I was like by the end of that episode I just turned to Jack and I was like I'm just going to cry lots when I watch this. Like, I love them all. I don't want anyone to die. And that will make sense when I explain the premise. But basically I decided to put it on hold, put watching it on hold for a while because I was like, this is too emotional. I can't watch this in lockdown. Like, it's just too upsetting. Um, And so I've only just sort of finished it. And I agree with all the praise that has been thrown on it, um, that it is one of the best drama series I've ever watched it's absolutely amazing it's flawless it's incredible and while it is really sad and you will cry it's also really beautiful and uplifting and just has this whole range of human emotions so it starts um from memory it starts in 1982 um and we see these young men 
sort of moving out of their homes. They've all got sort of difficult home lives. Um, so one's moving from the Isle of Wight. So he's on the ferry and his dad gives him like a packet of condoms. He's like, oh, you're moving to London. You might need these. And he just like chucks them overboard because <laughs> we know that all the boys are gay. So he's just like, nah, don't need these. And one of the other boys, Roscoe, is like very extroverted and really out there and his family are very conservative religious family and they um basically throw him out because he wants to wear makeup and stuff and they're Mm. like no so he just like leaves one night so there's all these sort of we see the young boys coming into London and they all end up living together in this share house and sort of becoming friends And it sort of sets the scene and you know from that point that, like, we know that AIDS is going to happen. From that historical perspective, we're like, oh, no. I know. When you threw the condoms away, I was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) But I said to Jack, I was like, oh, my God, this is the problem with, like, this is, I guess, what we now learnt growing up was that, you know, you'd you don't just use condoms and stuff for um like for prevention of pregnancy pregnancy. yeah yeah whereas like back then it really was well like it was just about pregnancy because I'm not gonna have sex with a girl so it it was it was so heartbreaking to watch all these little things that you're like oh my god and then um he sort of takes you through from the very start where a lot of the characters are like (laughs) very parallels to COVID where the characters like, Oh no, we don't need to worry about this. Or like, no, this is just, you know, we don't, we don't need to worry. It's just in America or, you know, just sort of ignoring it and saying it wasn't important. Also, like, I think it's really important for us being born in the nineties and not being aware of the context at the time to see that it was portrayed as the gay disease and all this sort of homophobic stuff that still stuck around I've got to say by the time we were growing up but was much 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 less um because there's still a lot of ignorance even to this day I think around AIDS um and HIV but for but back then, you know, there were some people who were like, no, this is just a cons- but they're just saying it's a gay disease because they're homophobic and stuff. So there mm-hmm. was a lot of miseducation and stuff. So basically then the story follows this this group of friends um, and what happens and what unfolds as the HIV AIDS sort of epidemic. Is it it's an epidemic, yeah, um, sort of spreads and it's as obviously as you get towards the end it's really really heartbreaking really heartbreaking and the final scenes are just some of the best tv you'll ever see like they're just there's a a, an amazing speech from um Jill one of the so they have this um one of the women who lives with them or the woman who lives with them Jill um just loves all of them you know and you know they're so important to her and she confronts another character's mother and says this is what you're left with I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sort of spoil it but I'm sure you can guess but I'm um she says you know this is your fault because of the shame that he grew up with in in your house and the shame that all these men and all these boys grew up with that makes them think that they're sitting in a hospital bed and it is their fault and they deserve to die because they love boys. Like it's just, it's such an impassioned speech. And the thing is though um, that Jill, that character who's so wonderful throughout, is actually based on a real person and the real woman plays Jill's mum. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's so wonderful. So I found that out afterwards and I was like, oh my God, that is so cool. But basically she she was trying to help the, the I'm going to call them boys because they were so young. They were only like teenagers. And so um, when she learns more about HIV AIDS, she um, goes on the switchboard and like there was, you know, because they would, no one knew what was happening. And we've yeah. got to remember like this is pre-internet, like 
So people were calling up in, and, and a lot of people maybe didn't want to be out because of the homophobia. So they didn't want, like one of the characters is an actor and he's like, I can't be seen to be out or I won't work. Like it's, yeah. it's just, it's such a different time to what we live in now. And it's really, I think in terms of like understanding social history, it's a really important thing to watch just because we didn't live through that. And, you know, it is so different now and it is, while there are still problems, don't get me wrong, it's so, so different and so much more accepting generally, I think. Um, So it's important to like remember that. But she also at the end, um, you know, goes and sits with um, just strangers to her who were dying alone in hospital either because their family had refused to come or disowned them or they didn't have any other relatives. And so it's just so heartbreaking. And, again, the parallels with it coming out during COVID and stuff is, you know, so many young men in particular just dying alone. it's just heartbreaking. So yeah, it's an amazing watch, but one I think is incredibly necessary, but it's also like in terms of, again, just like the drama, it's not sad all the time. It's absolutely beautiful and uplifting as well. It's really amazing. But in the UK, apparently um, the Trussell Trust, who is a HIV um, sort of uh, charity organization they saw um, a huge spike in the number of home HIV testing kits after this oh, wow. um, so it's actually been really good for awareness too and I think hopefully people watch it and sort of look at the advances and know that it's not a death sentence anymore um, but yeah very emotional watch but one that I highly 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 recommend yeah, absolutely. I haven't watched that one yet, but I mean, I've not heard a bad thing. I just kind of haven't got around to it and kind of in a similar way, I'm like, oh God, I feel like I need to prepare myself to sit through it, you know, like it yeah. just sounds so... Because you will from the first, like the first episode, I was like, oh my God, I love all of them. And like, obviously I knew it was the subject matter. I was like, I love them all and they're all going to die, aren't they? Yeah, you're they just don't like, oh all no. die, but yeah, you're just like, oh my God, I love them so much. I feel that way anytime, anytime I watch anything and then, and like, anytime I watch anything sort of set in that time period and then there's a character that's gay, like almost right before it happens, I remember and I'm like, mm. oh my God, he's going to have an AIDS storyline, like in like other movies yeah. and TV shows a lot. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Yeah. This is what it's we're like getting to, isn't like it? You watch a war movie or something and you're like, oh no, this And you're like, oh damn it, you're gonna, gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's brilliant. And um the cast are absolutely amazing and hopefully destined for very big things and hopefully we see them in a lot more things because they're incredible. Um my recommendation is a lot lighter. Um <laughs> and <laughs> Hopefully this will sort of bring us up a bit before we go into our wonderful um, interview. But my recommendation is a TV show on Netflix called Zero Chill. And Zero Chill is a, like, angsty teen family, I guess, like, dramedy, I don't know, about a set of twins and their parents, obviously, um, who move from Canada to the UK because the male like male twin Mac gets like some kind of scholarship or something a place at this very prestigious hockey like academy with like one of the greatest players ever all fictional obviously um Mm -hmm. so they're always at the ice rink and he's like the new star player and he's like gonna be really really good and like being at that academy is like where people get professional contracts like the agents and everything like come and see their games and his twin sister is an ice dancer and she was in a duo with her best friend um back in Canada and so then obviously he has to stay in Canada (laughs) and then so she's not skating but she's just skating by herself and then will she get a new skating partner will you know will like mac date the cute girl that that works at the ice rink (laughs) will the girl 
who is the daughter of the guy who runs the hockey academy. Will she get to play hockey or will her mother force her to be an ice dancer? It's just like, it's all on the ice. It's like so many great characters that I really enjoyed it. It was so much fun. The funniest thing about this is when we looked it up, because as soon as you told me this pre-recording, I was like, oh, well, where did they go? Because I work with someone in Nottingham who you know, it does all the medicals and physio and stuff for the ice hockey team in Nottingham. And there is actually a huge, surprising to you, actually a huge ice hockey sort of um, competition and club league thing in the UK. Um, So I I never realised this. Obviously, like, it's known that that's like a Canadian thing, ice hockey. I know, that's what I thought. As the twins move over there, like, their mother is... English and so like there's some kind of storylines it's like well maybe Kayla the ice dancer maybe she has a better chance of getting to the Olympics on team UK as opposed to team Canada because like Mm -hmm. everyone can ice skate in Canada you know like it's all these really but yeah I never thought about ice sports in the UK neither did I um but when we looked it up as well the funniest thing is that it is actually all filmed in Sheffield so You at you know probably like five or six episodes ago were like, oh my god, you always seem to pick books that have a Sheffield connection, and I was like, it's an accident, and now you've done it. <laughs> I know I've done it by accident. I don't remember in the show if that's where they say they live in well, it Sheffield. Says here that it's like um, a fictional, obviously ice hockey academy. Um, I've just done a quick. I've just done a quick. Google um and it's got all the like if they move to a fictional town is that what yeah but um I guess it's one of those things where it's a bit like sex education or something where it doesn't really say where it's set it's not maybe yeah maybe the show is not explicitly set in Sheffield but asked why they chose to shoot in the city they said that there were many practical reasons so it's one of the UK's major ice skating hubs um and yeah, they have like Team GB figure skating head coach and stuff who works at the Sheffield Arena. So sort of, yeah, all all sort of worked. And I think they were doing, it looks like they were doing a research trip and then the arena's general manager was like, why don't you shoot the drama here? Um, you can you can do it. So they've got, they had like one of their three rinks available for the, for the film. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, it was and- so fun. I mean... What more could you want from a show? There's like ice dancing routines, like action hockey fight sequences. It's about twins. There's like family <laughs> drama. It's like, you know, we up, you know, they uprooted oh, their whole lives to move there for him. Like it's I had it no great. idea. I had no idea. I mean, it's only just come out onto Netflix, hasn't it? Like I mean, like this year. I'm not sure when exactly. No, it looks like it only just came out in March. So Oh, maybe I was like right on it. I thought yeah. I was- this looks really this looks really good. I'm gonna see if Jack wants to if Jack wants to watch it. But um yeah, apparently they had so the extras and doubles in it. Um, they got and they got two former um, like Sheffield ice hockey players um, to coach for filming and stuff. And yeah, all the extras and stuff who are who are extra skaters and stuff, I guess in it are all like just real life people who are in the skating community in Sheffield. So that's very cool. That is really cool. Yeah. But yeah. That's interesting. Oh, I love that. That's such a good recommendation. I'm going to I'm gonna watch that. In fact, maybe we might save that to watch with our um, friends who will be moving in with, um, who live in Sheffield. So we'll be in Sheffield for a few weeks after this. So, yeah, yeah we might save and it for that. And it's only, I mean, it's like quick, fun teen drama. Each episode mm-hmm. is, is like about half an hour and there's only like 10 episodes. But yeah, That's maybe crazy. if more people watch it, we'll like it'll become really, really popular season. and we'll yeah. get a second season. <laughs> Very nice. I like that. That's excellent. Oh my goodness. I actually feel a bit emotional about like this being our final <laughs> recording in this house and in the UK. I know. Weird. You have to oh. away your microphone now. I know, yeah. It's gotta go away and like it's going in we're shipping it so yeah when we when we do stuff in Australia I might just have a different microphone for a while but 
Yeah, I don't know why. I feel quite, I just feel emotional about everything this week. But um, Fair enough. Yeah, everything's like a last, a last this, a last that. And it's just sad to like, <laughs> yeah, pack everything away, I guess. Um, but yeah, for the last time from England, um, enjoy this interview. We actually are super, 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 super delighted to be able to share this with you. Um, I think we're still like, oh my God, did we actually get to do this interview? I know. I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So please enjoy our chat with the amazing Beth O'Leary. Our guest this week is one of the biggest names in contemporary fiction at the moment. Her debut novel, The Flat Share, has sold over half a million copies and her second novel, The Switch, has been optioned for film by Steven Spielberg's production company. Today, we are absolutely thrilled to be discussing her brand new novel, The Road Trip. Welcome to Better Words, Beth O'Leary. Oh, thank you so much for having me. That was a lovely introduction. <laughs> all good. We're glad. All true things. So I was sort of sitting here going, you- oh, that sounds impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you sort of need no introduction, though. I, I think for most people, even if they haven't read The Flat Share or The Switch, if they've been in a bookshop in the last two years, they will have seen, seen your name. Your name. Yeah. <laughs> that's so surreal. <laughs> yeah. Is it still really weird for you that that's the case? Yes, definitely. I think um, in my head, like the flat share is sort of, there's like two versions of it. There's like the version that's the little story that I wrote on my commute, like that I love to pieces and, you know, poured my heart into and, and, and is kind of my little story. And then there's like the, the phenomenon flat share, which I get like emailed about, which is, well, you know, we, we're, it's sold in, you know, 34 languages around the world. Like it's, it's it's sort of like I can't comprehend the two things being the same. So in my head, they're just kind of slightly, they're separate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into that a bit later about how you wrote it and everything. We want to know a bit more about that. But yeah, that's, that's really interesting. And I think I would probably be the same. I think that makes a lot of sense. Because of course, it makes no sense that the story that you wrote on your commute is published in countries all over the world and has sold half a million copies. That makes no sense at all. Why would that have happened? happened? How, how has that <laughs> happened? Yeah, and I guess like as as a debut author as well, you almost set yourself up for a bit of disappointment because you hear mm. how hard it is and, you know, how you're like, yeah, I got a book deal, but will it sell many? And then you just have this runaway success. It must feel absolutely crazy um, it really does <laughs> but today we want to talk about your wonderful new novel that is going to be out on the 29th of April called The Road Trip so can you tell us a little bit about The Road Trip yes so The Road Trip begins with two exes crashing cars on their way to a mutual friend's wedding um, and only one car kind of is still functioning after the crash so Addy and Dylan and all their passengers end up piling into one uh, vehicle, one little mini for the long drive from the south of England uh, up to the middle of rural Scotland. Yeah, it's quite the setup. I loved it. it <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> it's such a good concept. And I love that you say it starts with the crash because it does. It's on about page three or something where the I cars know. actually collide. And I was like, whoa, we're right there. <laughs> you know what? I think increasingly I'm such a fan of starting you know where you want to start like I kind of I could have given us a bit more of a run-in but like I wanted I wanted to get to the crash and I felt like well if I want to get to the crash and so does the reader like you know just throw throw us in with the action so yes uh I did literally start with the crash (laughs) (laughs) yes get to the awkwardness quicker so we can find out all the dynamics and (laughs) let's cram everyone into the mini quicker um yeah so you've actually you've written in the advanced copy anyway I don't know if it goes into the final copy or not but like a little letter to the reader in that you said that the idea for this novel has actually sort of been brewing since the flat share so what was sort of the catalyst to finally 
go into Dylan and Addie's story? Yeah, it, it. I think actually I talked to the very, very first coffee that I had with my agent where she said like, I enjoyed the flat share, do you want to meet? Which obviously was like the most exciting day of my life. Um, I think I actually talked about this idea of having two people crash cars and then have to pile into one vehicle way back then. Um, so it has been brewing for a long time, but it never felt like a whole story really and I I have quite a lot of ideas like that that are sort of I'm excited by them and there's something in them that is sparking for me but they're not they're not quite growing into a whole novel and they sort of sit in the back of my head and this one had had been kind of percolating for a long time and then I went on holiday to um, Provence in France with my family and I was just I found it so um, romantic as a setting, like there's just these amazing vineyards and like there's this sort of slow heat to the sun and it's dusty. And I just I felt like, oh, this would be such an amazing place to start a love story. And it's really unusual for me to start with setting. Actually, that's not something that I kind of normally normally find. But um, it just suddenly clicked that I could if I'm writing about two exes crashing cars, then I'm talking about people that have already been in love. Like I'm, I'm, they've had a love story already. And then I suddenly thought, well, maybe I could put this French setting, this Provence love story kind of in, in their story. Could I intertwine it and have essentially what's two love stories about one couple really side by side. And, you know, I wanted us to be able to kind of gather from the old story, something that's important for their new one and vice versa and, and kind of, see whether they could have a second chance and then I just it like it fell into place and I I became like I was obsessed with this book when I was writing it I was like so immersed in it it kind of flew once and it's weird because it was like it it sort of stalled for a long time sorry <laughs> terrible like it's really hard not to use car metaphors you realize <laughs> You realise how much you use them in conversation when you're talking about a book set in a car. Um, But yeah, so I kind of, I I sort of just totally um, fell into it and and wrote it really quickly. And um, and these once I knew that really we were we were talking about two love stories intertwined. I felt like the characters sort of started coming forward and everything fell into place really. Yeah, because both of your other books do switch perspectives with like two key characters, but this is the first time that we have these like two timelines, as you were saying, like the two stories. Was that different for the writing process? Really different. I thought about writing the whole thing chronologically, if that makes sense. So it switches between then and now. Um, but I was thinking, do I want to write kind of then, followed followed by now, and then piece it together, you know, like a jigsaw? And um, in the end, I decided not to do that for various reasons, one of which was that I really wanted it to alternate between Addie and Dylan and uh, their voices. So even if you were switching between then and now, I wanted to have that, um, which was just very tricky to engineer um but also I kind of felt like the the pace you know I if I'd written it chronologically you you might have and when I sort of glued it all back together you might have ended up going from one very intense sort of sad scene to another very intense sad scene and actually in order to get that kind of I like my books to have a real lightness to them and I I wanted to still keep that and kind of to to get the pacing right I guess I, I decided I needed to write it non-chronologically but I did do various edits where I read it chronologically <laughs> so I would read the the then and then the now. Oh my goodness I imagine that was probably quite confusing for you as it was all coming together to think because it's it you know it reads so easily but there is a lot of swapping because you swap between Addie and Dylan and then and now and back and forth all over the place. The other challenge was making, um, you know, I really wanted to show how the characters had grown. That's a huge part of the story, really. And and I think to write a convincing kind of second chance romance, that's something that's important to show. You know, you need to be able to believe that they could have have another chance at, you know, real love. It's really clear that they've all changed a lot. Yeah, it's not just like, oh, I'm still obsessed with him or whatever. Like there's obvious things happening. And I think even though we say obvious you're also it's very subtle things like there's um a scene obviously where you know it's about money and paying for things and Addie sort of goes oh my god he didn't offer to pay for something like 
what does this mean? And I think it's just those little shifts that you you don't, it would be easy to have someone um, have a complete character switch and like, oh my God, I changed completely. But actually it's more realistic that it's those little tiny everyday things that annoy you about a person when you are with them all the time. And to just have those tiny changes are actually massive. So I loved that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, those little changes were so important because they need to still feel like the same character in the then and the now. You know, you don't want to read Addie and then and then be like, she seems like a completely different person. Like, you know, but equally, I really, I did want her to be a, a different person in some ways in the way that we are, you know, two years on and after big experiences that have changed us. So it's like, she needs to sound the same, but different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just you need to be able to like see the growth. As you said, obviously a lot of, well, about half of the story really, the now, is literally set in a car as they're all on their way to this wedding. And I couldn't help but notice that there's a lot of Taylor Swift playing on this road trip. (laughs) I love that you noticed that. (laughs) Well, I noticed because I'm a big fan, so I have to ask, seems like you're a big fan too. (laughs) I am. Well, I and actually she ended up sort of, there's so many Taylor Swift songs on my road trip playlist and actually music was really important for writing this book. I, I sometimes like the, the flat share, I wrote a lot to music um, and that was partly because I was on a busy train. So it was a good way to block out the noise. Um, But the switch I wrote in almost complete silence, like it, it just didn't, there are some songs that I associate with that book, but they, I didn't write to music. I, I don't know why it just seems to vary per book. And this story, um, I listened to the same tracks sort of over and over and over again whilst I was writing it. I don't know. I think I knew music was going to be a sort of probably going to be important just because it is when you're on a road trip, right? Like, yeah. you know, the and playlist, you, you, that's kind of a big part of, um, of road tripping. And and so I, I, I suspected that music would kind of worm its way into the story, but I didn't think that I would kind of almost need it to to get myself back into this to the story and um yeah there were there were just as it have I think Taylor Swift is really good at capturing a um particular moment in your life isn't she and and I think the road trip is in lots of ways about that kind of that young love first love and and second chances and she often sings about those things so yeah she she ended up uh kind of dominating my road trip playlist (laughs) everybody loves a little bit yeah everyone loves a bit of taylor swift and i think that that was really funny i think particularly particularly in like the first half of the novel there are lots of moments where it's like they're awkward in the car on the first leg before things get a bit more hectic and they'll be like oh i've got to change this song and it'll be like i can't play we are never ever getting back together (laughs) and all of those moments which are just so funny yeah i thought you know the car radio was kind of another tool really to kind of drop hints and up the tension and um and in the same way that there are songs that to me are very evocative of this book I think for Addie and Dylan there are songs that are very evocative of their time together in the way yeah you do associate like everyone's you know those there'll be that that song that was your song with your ex and you know if that came on the radio and you were stuck in a car with them it it just would be would be awkward right (laughs) yeah and or like a song that came out that you were listening to yeah like those songs that are like oh the song of the summer and they just play all the time totally yeah I mean for me not that anybody asked to know this but um (laughs) Caitlin will know this because she was there but um when I matched on tinder with my now fiance um it was the weekend I was going down to see Adele live but that actually wasn't what I was listening to I was listening to Ed Sheeran's new album because um Divide had just come out so Shape of You is sort of what I always associate with that time of like dating and like because then he really like Jack really liked Ed Sheeran as well and then one of the first and then things we did together yeah yeah we bought tickets and I remember saying like well more of my friends are coming so if we break up in a year because it's like a year in advance it's like you know (laughs) You're gonna have to give me your ticket. Like, <laughs> if we're not together, like if, we don't go, like if you're not together, you're not coming anymore. <laughs> Just to be clear. Like- what? oh I love it um, people can't see but I'm just beaming here I just like love a love story as soon as you said like matched yeah. on Tinder with my now fiance I was like oh <laughs> I do have a good story because I'm the one who was like playing on her phone and swiped on him so it was all yeah, me yeah because I was 
I was, I checked, I checked. It wasn't like Caitlin was just doing it, but I was packing for the trip. So that's yeah. excellent. Like best friending. Well done. <laughs> and it's actually, it's really lucky that he wasn't afraid to like double message because something happened with the Tinder messages and it like didn't, I didn't get whatever message he'd sent and I was getting on the plane and I, I he was like, oh, like, he sort of followed up with something and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't get whatever message. Look, just add me on Facebook so we can talk on there. And the rest is history. And oh, oh my God, it's so, nearly, it so nearly couldn't have, like, so nearly, like, might not be. Like, oh my God, imagine if he was like, nah, she's not interested. <laughs> she didn't reply next. <laughs> I'd like to think maybe we would have got together anyway because we're from a small town and there's so many other connections that we have. Ah. But maybe it was, I like to think it was meant to be. But um, he proposed um, in the grounds of Chat- Chatsworth House, uh, which is Pemberley as Pride and Prejudice. Oh just like literally a day before we went into tier four lockdown so I've not celebrated much with it I've just been like casually just being at home looking at my ring by myself oh I so I so hear you lockdown wedding over here we we basically just had my parents as witnesses and uh yeah not 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 what we'd expected but it was actually really special but yeah I those those things that this year that you would have taken for granted like being able to celebrate your engagement it's been hard hasn't it it was like three months in and we finally could meet a friend outside for a coffee and it was warm enough to not have my gloves on. And she was like, oh my God, show me your ring. Like, it's just like, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm used to it now, but I haven't seen you for six yeah. months. So, yeah. Um, anyway, the, just one other tiny little thing about things that you love. I noticed there's a lot of mention of Addie and her dungarees and I'm a massive Lucy and Yak fan. So I was like, what kind of dungarees would she be wearing? Is she the sort of person who would buy all the printed, like Lucy and Yak special editions? And like, I just loved that. And I just had to say, do you I, know, I, I actually thought the other day, like I, so I'm, I'm now I'm pregnant, um, which means dungarees are my friend <laughs> because they are so comfy. Um, and I, I was, I, but I, I didn't own any before we're getting pregnant, but I'd written Addy in some dungarees. And I think I just, I wonder if on some level, I really just wanted some. <laughs> and I was like, Addy should wear that outfit because I, I would like that. <laughs> I would like to be wearing that. Um, but I kind of imagined her in like sort of I don't know maybe like denim ones right? or, or and and like at one point because it's so hot um, I, I did put them all in a car on the hottest day of the year just because you know as we discussed just make it as awkward as possible and that just yeah <laughs> literal like hot like uh, sauna in there um and yeah she she unclips the tops and is kind of walking around with it hanging around her her waist so I, I kind of always imagine always imagine them as like blue maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. like I love yeah, it Andrew. blue <laughs> denim like a light blue denim uh-huh uh-huh exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although I do catch myself and because whenever it is mentioned that it's hot and I catch myself being an Australian and a Queenslander picturing her in shorts ones not like mm-hmm. they could be shorts ones but yeah you're you're I mean I'm saying like it's crazily hot, but it probably doesn't count as that hot well, <laughs> for anyone I mean, apart from like literally also, also being in that thing, I can attest to the fact that it is very hot in the UK when it gets hot because nothing is equipped for how hot yes, it is. Like the car. And like, I was on a train on, so when we actually could travel back in 2019 when we just got here, so it was the summer, and um, I had gone to Manchester for the day, happened to be one of the hottest days of the year and I was absolutely sweating buckets they don't have any air conditioning on the train it is so uncomfortable and not only that as you will know Beth when when it's hot uh just like every train in England stops so I was waiting at the station with all these other people just like sweating and feeling gross and I was wearing a backpack and you know you can just feel your back sweating and you're just like this is gross um and they went like they had the train conductors like handing out bottles of water and stuff oh my god actually it is actually (laughs) horrendous and I'm used to this sort of stuff but it's because there's no air conditioning and we are blessed Mm. in in fact it's it's you know it's a blessing and a curse because you know if you work in an office you will be in Queensland like in your jumper office car again and then you go outside and you're like oh I'm melting (laughs) yeah you're like I've got to thaw out now um anyway that's a a little side note um but you know one of the things that 
you know, we love about your books and that a lot of people seem to love is the characters. So, you know, we've mentioned Dylan and Addie are the main characters in this novel and it just feels like each novel they are so vibrant and so, you know, lifelike and I love them so much. How do you as the author get to know them and flesh them out? Oh, well, thank you. I'm I'm so glad you felt that way. Um and yes, characters um I don't really have a quick way of of meeting my characters. I sort of have to just write them and it usually um that I'll know I'll know something about them when I start the first draft. I'll have like pieces of their um personality but um I have to sort of throw them into the situations that and then I find out who they really are and and usually by the end of the first draft they've become like like there's a moment when a character goes from someone who I can kind of um shape however I want and I can think oh actually it would be really useful if Dylan was like this because then it would work that this happens um and then there's sort of a point like a tipping point and I can't quite say when it happens but they kind of solidify and they become like it, it stops being a question of oh it would be handy if Dylan was like this it's like oh well Dylan wouldn't do that you know it, it, yeah. it they become like a person you know and that usually happens for me around about the end of a first draft and then a lot of the work of the second draft is going back and p- making sure that that's the person that we feel all the way through um and often I will look back at the beginning and I'll be like what like that's not that's not what <laughs> he would say that <laughs> yeah exactly um but so it's it's not like the most efficient process I know some writers like um do things like you know 100 questions with their characters or and I have tried those sorts of things but it it never seems to work in the same way um I just have to meet them slowly I think um and a, an exception is like my uh, sometimes minor characters come fully formed. Like Rodney came almost fully formed. <laughs> Rodney You're is not the surprised. yeah. <laughs> so when I was kind of trying to decide who to throw in this car, um, I knew I wanted to do. Um, you, you know, like when you break up with somebody, your best friend or your brother or whoever it might be is like the person that hates them the most right they're like most on your side because more than you are because they're like you know they love you and I wanted those people to be there so we've got Addie's sister and uh, Marcus who is um, Dylan's best friend um just you know the most awkward people to have in that scenario really and then I I needed one other person I, I wanted somebody who would kind of be there partly to kind of be the outside of you because that's you know there's so much um history between all those four people and then I needed somebody who was just completely a different viewpoint and also someone to just relieve the tension sometimes because it's very intense um and Rodney was really useful because often he would just put his foot in it or say something you know off the wall or do something slightly ridiculous and it would kind of burst the bubble just at that moment when I think you need that slight relief because oh my gosh it's getting so tense um and he just he just turned up sat in the car and I was like oh that's Rodney (laughs) there he is (laughs) there he is (laughs) it was almost like you know the reader being in the car especially in the beginning when he was I think he literally says he's like oh did you two used to date and it's like oh my god that's the worst thing you could have said (laughs) yeah he asked all the helpful questions who's this guy? Like, is this your plus one? Like, who the yeah. hell's he? And they were like, yeah, he's just here with us. Like, yeah, we just picked him up. Like, and I, I, love, <laughs> I love that it's sort of, you know, it was really sweet of Deb and Addy to give him a lift. Um, yeah. And like, he might, <laughs> at various points, Addy's like, I bet he is really regretting accepting this lift because this has <laughs> become such a fraud. Happens, isn't it? At like, you you are in a Facebook group with all these people and you don't really know all of them and you're like oh God, yeah okay well I'll, I'll be the nice person and do something nice it's for a you and road trip to go on with a stranger I don't know if I would be kind enough to be like yes random wedding guest you can come with me that's yeah. a long time yeah I don't know if I'd be that nice either <laughs> it says a lot about Addie and Deb that they were it willing does. to it does. and then they take you know Marcus and Dylan which is even nicer oh. really <laughs> Yeah. Is it is it Deb at one point who's like, oh my God, just let's just leave them. They can get there themselves. Let's just go. 
<laughs> you would have been tempted right in that situation yeah. and, the there's, the road. <laughs> and there's always one person who like the the friend who's just like yeah we can just leave them it's fine <laughs> one person who's like can we really though I don't know <laughs> no <laughs> do you ever get tempted to revisit characters like would we ever get sequels or guests in new books or anything do we find out um, what happens to any of these people after the end of the books so i i never say never with that and i do that you know there are lots of my characters who have i mean kind of all of them actually have a really special place in my heart but i do find that when i like i know them so well by the end of finishing a book um and if i then kind of come back to them after sort of throwing myself into a new story with new characters it's much harder it's like it's like they've I don't know it's like meeting up with someone that you've not seen for years and you're like oh I don't really like we don't gel anymore <laughs> like it's for you as well as I used to yeah and it might take I think it just takes time probably like yeah. uh I I could probably get myself back into Tiffy's head and the main character in the flat share for instance but it would take me quite a long time and it doesn't feel sort of so I don't have that kind of sense that I want to, you know, I, I left her in a place where I was really happy with where she was. And I don't, I think unless I had a story that like, I felt, oh my gosh, I really want to tell that story. It, I wouldn't, I wouldn't kind of revisit a character unless for that reason, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so, you know, we sort of mentioned at the start, obviously the flat share was beyond all your wildest dreams of a debut novel and I'm sure you know a lot of people who've read and love the flat share and then the switch have sort of seen that success and thought oh my goodness what an amazing journey but we know from talking to so many authors and just you know being sort of part of the publishing world and stuff that there's so much more that goes on before a debut novel so can you tell us a little bit about your journey to publication because I believe you wrote you know some other novels before and the flat share was sort of came along at the right time for you yeah yeah so I I think I sent my first query letter to an agent which is where you um uh sort of send a little bit of a, a book and ask them if they'd like to represent you when I was about I think I was about 17 um I and I wrote and I finished I think about five novels before the flat share um and countless countless half finished third finished (laughs) ones um I've always written I've always I've always wanted to be a writer it's 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 just part of who I am I think really um and so yeah I I was very familiar with rejection before uh writing the flat share and then when I I did I wrote the flat share on my commute to and from work which worked really well for me actually people are always I don't know it was perfect for me because it meant an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening where I had space and time and the wi-fi on trains is always rubbish so I didn't even have the distraction of the internet oh I'm sure that's got better now <laughs> but uh five years ago or whatever it was uh it was it was it was useful because I could just put my headphones on close myself off to the world and write um because before that when I was living in London I did find it really hard to make time and it was mm-hmm. made me sad not writing like it's just like I say is kind of it's part of me and it's slightly compulsive for me and I I yeah I missed it so I I really loved writing on my commute but then I sent the flat share to a f- handful of agents um only one person wanted to read past the first three chapters and that is Tanara my my agent now and I just still can remember even when I'm talking about it my heart is just going like the the feeling of getting an email saying like I'd love to read the whole thing and and just like oh my god you can't hope like don't get too hopeful (laughs) um and uh and then yeah she she loved it and we met up and we just immediately clicked and and she seemed it was I remember saying to my boyfriend when we when I got out like it was amazing to talk to somebody like about these characters and like she just took it really seriously like she was sort of asking me questions about the story like it mattered and I just had never spoken about, you know, when, when you're a writer and you're not published, people kind of talk to you like, oh, that's yeah. cute. Like, oh, your little story, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, 
like, like, oh, good for you. It's nice to have a hobby, like, you know. Yeah. And, um, you know, nobody's talking to a literary agent about it. And yeah. She, yeah. And nobody, nobody says things like, you know, oh, talk to me about, you know, the character development and things. People, people just sort of, I think people just assume you're a bit rubbish, don't they? If you, if you talk about writing novels in as a hobby in your spare I think time, most and, people do. Yeah. 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 It's a weird transition, I've got to say, from the moment you become a you know so when when the flat share sold it sold in such a kind of crazy huge way it was like you know this sort of snowball of like all these countries coming on board and I I had sort of gone very very quickly from being the person that everyone was like oh yeah Beth has this like cute little hobby where she writes novels uh to like (laughs) oh you know Beth's book is sold in all sorts of territories and you know it's like (laughs) she's going to be able to do this job full time and people start then asking questions like where do your ideas come from? (laughs) Nobody asks you that, you know, when it's just a hobby. And I was really, I was like, oh God, I I don't know. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, So it was, it was a strange and wonderful time. I mean, just total um, euphoria and then like fear and all of the big emotions. Um, But yeah, when I, when I realized I could, you know, afford to go full time as a writer, that was my absolute dream and it still is still is you know I, I feel so lucky every day that I come and sit at this desk and get to do this I still, still feel like someone's going to come along and be like oh yeah no you're not you're not allowed to do that that's too good <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you'd be like never mind this was fun for a while but exactly <laughs> thank you so much for letting me do it for this long I'll go now <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, now you are no longer writing on your commute. So what does your writing process look like now? It really varies depending on what stage I'm at with a book. So I think the trickiest stage to get used to was the coming up with a new book idea. Because I think when, you know, I I, I was working, doing this full time and I was like, OK, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work so hard at this. I'm going to sit down at my desk and I'm going to I'm going to come up with a new book. And And the reality is that that's for me, not how I come up with a new book. Um, I have to go out walking the dog that's that's like the best kind of method for me things like cooking a meal that takes ages with lots of chopping just things that take your eye slightly away from the problem but not but give your brain kind of breathing room um and that is when a spark will come so that's really difficult because it's not very measurable and you can kind of have like a whole week where you're like god i've just like you know, I've done, done a few, no work. But yeah, it's I feel so unproductive yeah. and like, oh, I've done a few emails and a few bits and bobs for the sort of promotion for the books, but I'm kind of not having any ideas right now. Come on. when you know, And then, and then it will just, it will just, you have to trust basically that it will come and it always has before. So that's like the, the least definable kind of bit of my job, I would say. And then once I'm in first draft mode, um, I write 2000 words a day. That's like my regular it doesn't uh it doesn't always happen but that's what i aim for because i i kind of find that with first drafts i have to just throw myself in and and 2000 words is for me a lot like it's it's more than i can comfortably write in a day so it sort of stretches me and means that i can't spend ages kind of going oh does this paragraph feel right <laughs> um and that means that I've, I've almost got to stay ahead of myself with a first draft so i can't start doubting it and and just get it written down and then the and second then go draft back yeah, is when yeah. it's wet. To be honest, my books are really built in the second draft. I think sometimes I don't even know what they're about until I finish the first <laughs> draft and I read them through and I'm like, how interesting I seem to have written about this. Um, and I have to, reading through a first draft is um, truly torturous. Like it is, I, I, I make myself, uh, I download it onto my Kindle um, so that I can't kind of edit. Like whilst I'm reading it, I go and sit in the chair behind me and I, uh, I like read it through and I'm, I, I will literally be squirming in the chair. I'm like, oh, this is so terrible. <laughs> this is so <laughs> interesting. I never thought about that before, but I guess like, at least I already think that I would, you know, you sit down to read it. I would be fixing everything right away and you would never get to the end. And you don't have the big picture. And also if you're doing, if you're, so I make notes as I go kind of being like this whole chapter needs to go or this isn't working or whatever. And you're much harsher when you don't have to make the change right now I find so if I I like doing the editing as I go I'll sort of be like oh I could maybe get away with leaving this bit in um but you're if if it's like future me that has to do the edit then I'm like no realistically this bit isn't strong enough it needs to go and and then I look back at my notes and and get really irritated with my 
past self because she's so demanding (laughs) (laughs) the most annoying note that I leave for myself is make this bit funnier (laughs) yeah uh, yeah, that's tricky. Yeah. You're like, oh, future Beth can deal with that. Yeah. And like humor is one of those things that I think it comes first time or it comes painfully. <laughs> like either you you kind of write a funny scene and you're like, this is just brilliant. It jumps off the page or you kind of spend a really long time going, is that funny? Is anyone else going to find that funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Last month, you were awarded a Nielsen Book Gold Bestseller Award for the flat share. So that means that over half a million copies have been sold just in the UK. But like you said, it's, you know, sold into dozens of territories across the world. It's absolutely phenomenal. And I didn't realize that you actually get like a proper little, it's like almost like a gold record sort of thing, isn't it? Oh, in the background. Oh. I love it. It's, like, it's like a gold record. Like, I didn't really... realize there was a book version of that. I mean, you see oh, like yeah. the record, gold record things in movies and stuff all the time, but I never realized there was a book version. That's cool. Oh, yeah. It's so cool. When it came, I was like, it came in this massive box with like loads of um it was like a lucky dip like get, get you know there was so so much padding because it was obviously very precious and they didn't want it to break in the post but um I was kind of like rummaging through this box like oh my god all the like packing it. peanuts and it's like oh yeah exactly <laughs> um but I mean you mentioned before as well like looking back on the success it almost feels like it's a bit disconnected from that that book that you wrote the book that you you know excitedly talked to an agent about how has all this sort of impacted your writing and I guess just the way you look at the success of the flat share and stuff like can you tell us a little bit more about that because I'm fascinated by it yeah it um it massively impacted writing the switch particularly I I'm really proud of that book because it was a really hard book to write, I think. And that's a big part of why I love it, you know, because I think I was so aware and everyone says to you like, oh, tricky second album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, second album. (laughs) I think the luckiest people are the people who have their second book written before the first one comes out. Oh yeah, that would have been great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because it was so, and and even you know, I mean, it's terrible. I'm very good at finding criticism when when there isn't any. But you know, even I would read like these amazing reviews of the flat share, and I'd think I don't do any of that in the switch. They're not going to like the switch. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's terrible. It's like a a sort of kind of someone breathing over your shoulder the whole time and in the end I and I'd never had I'd never written for a readership before and suddenly I had all these lovely readers like saying how much they loved my first book and how excited they were for the second one I didn't want to let them down you know I I kind of felt and I so wanted to do a good job of it and and um it was a lot of pressure to put on myself I think and actually in the end the book really came to life the switch really came to life when I I stopped kind of listening to that and I, I was able yeah. to I actually just said to my publicist please don't send me the even the best reviews <laughs> because I just need to focus on this next book now and a, a writer friend said to me like those people those readers that you're imagining um they can't help you now like you it's you and the page and 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 that's kind of what it comes back to um and uh once I just let myself connect with the story again um it it kind of it came thank goodness um and I and I I'm very proud of the book now but the road trip compared to the switch was hey walk in the park like I think the, <laughs> the pressure I'd done it I'd written a second book like I didn't even I didn't matter if anybody liked it because I'd done it you know and, and I I really wasn't sure that I could you know I, I I kind of and um and I and I loved it and I was proud of it so once the switch was written um I think writing the road trip felt like a breeze like it was it was really written for joy if that makes sense like that's how it felt writing it yeah because you know you've got the first book and then the follow-up which everyone is like oh they're following up this book and now everything else is just like oh it's just the next Beth O'Leary book yeah new book (laughs) yeah (laughs) well I personally I think I loved the switch just a tiny bit more only because I'm not I'm actually not much of a romance reader. Mm. Um, And so for me, I just loved the relationships in that. 
And I love that we get, you know, a bit of romance for an older age group. I feel like that's severely underrepresented. And I love that that was, that was in there and it was, it was really, I really loved that. I'm so glad. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I, I'm glad as well that I, I didn't kind of, I could have written um, a kind of another sort of male and female perspective love story straight after the flat share and I'm I'm glad I I let myself explore something a little bit different and there's a lot in the switch about family and the bonds between women and and I I'm glad I did that because I think it kind of means that I don't know I sometimes think if I'd written three kind of more traditional romances maybe that would be what everyone would always expect from me and I that, yeah. and actually now I feel like you know if, if I was sometimes want to write a little bit more about um you know some, some sort of something else within the genre then I've got that range which is quite nice yeah and I mean this is this again just me as a reader I sort of was like I I find it hard to call you like a romance author because Mm. to me it's just like really strong contemporary storylines and contemporary characters and I think that's because in my head the switch is that mm-hmm. sort of it's not a straight romance or anything yeah um, so, somebody yeah. I saw somebody call it a dramedy which I think is a um tv term like you, you know something that's yeah. it's not a purely a comedy but it isn't purely a drama um which I really like actually because and the other term that I quite like is is uplift uplifting literature um yeah, which kind yeah. of focuses on how the book makes you feel rather than sort of I guess what it's about or who it's for or um so yeah but I, I agree it's it's sort of hard to call that kind of standard rom-com I think. I think with those two terms that might be the books I like reading. Uplit dramedy. Yeah and uh I, we also discussed with um I think it was with Phoebe Wynn, Caitlin, we said anything with a feminist punch yeah. we're also like that every book that we have that we talk about on this podcast is almost like yes it's a wonderful book with a feminist punch like that's just described. <laughs> I love punch that's when she said that I was like oh yeah that is exactly West what yeah. I like to read <laughs> yeah. I love it. it. Uh, um, So we also, um, obviously, along along with the success of the flat share, and we just mentioned the switch there, of course, it's actually the switch that's been optioned for a film um, with Steven Spielberg's company. Like, that just must be mind-blowing. How did you feel when you got that news? Oh, my God. Uh, It was such an amazing time. Like, I had, like, this call I I can't I still can't really believe it happened like I was and I was sat there like having having these conversations and people were talking about these names of really famous people and I was sat with my my literary agent and my my tv and film agent Sheila and we were um I was kind of going like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, on the call and then I was just like looking at them and just I, I mean people can't see my face right now but I was just doing like this sort of like mouth open can't believe this is happening face in between every time I spoke so I'd be like oh yeah no that's really really interesting and, and what do you think about this oh my god oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah playing it totally cool <laughs> yeah oh yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure they probably saw through that um but um yeah it's just the most exciting news and I mean I I just I always I feel like it will work well on screen I feel like it's um it's got that I felt like maybe maybe there's a chance with this one that maybe somebody would be interested but I I did not imagine that it would be Steven Spielberg's production company (laughs) it does have a really nice like obviously it's not it's not set in the second world war so this reference is a bit a bit out there but like the Guernsey and literary oh my gosh I thought you were gonna say that yeah 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 I can never remember the full name. Guernsey yes. Literary and Potato, and potato peel, peel Pie. 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 Society, <laughs> yeah. I think. It's got Such that sort of vibe, name. I think, like mm-hmm. of, of just like heartwarming and there's a seriousness there. Like obviously there's serious issues of family things that are discussed, but overall there's this lovely like feeling to that novel and I can just And then like crossed with the holiday because of the house. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we sort of obvious obvious comparisons there to the holiday. But I think the film, this like cinematography vibe of like Guernsey, like Mm. yeah. Or or um for me as well, I love like the way that um the film Brooklyn 
was filmed as well and I just think that vibe oh I can just picture I want this to happen Um, we will be there ready to see it on screens whenever (laughs) this happens No, we did just say before that possibly the only thing that moves slower than the publishing industry is the television and film industry. So, I think particularly you know, film. TV, mm, I might take that yeah. back. I think TV goes okay, but film can take forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, like we hear about the things like, oh, the rights have been sold, but actually there's so many more processes. It can be like years and years and years before that actually moves on so yeah the, the amount of people that have been like so yeah when's the premiere and can I come <laughs> like oh we're some way away from that and no <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's am- well congratulations oh, on, so on all of that too yes and second congratulations because you recently shared that you are pregnant and I think you mentioned that before as well so do you think becoming a mother will change your writing routine obviously it will but do you think you will be able to keep up this publishing schedule you've had three books in three years (laughs) Yeah. So, um, I mean, who knows, really? I mean, I know some writers who kind of found that they felt incredibly creative in the first few months of maternity and and others who just were like, that kind of went completely out the window. So I'm just going to sort of see what happens, really. Um, But I do, I am at the moment uh, in the last stage of editing my fourth book, which will be out next spring. (laughs) So um, I did give myself a very hard deadline by, um, uh, yeah, with the the baby, (laughs) because um, I really wanted to get this uh, finished before baby comes. Um, And I think it will be, I think it will be possible. There were various points last year where I thought, is this is this doable? <laughs> um, I uh, yeah, this this novel. I'm I well, I'm very really really excited about it. Um, and it will be lovely to kind of and you know my publishers are really excited too, which is always um, lovely. And it's nice to sort of hand them that and then be like off to <laughs> off to have a baby now. <laughs> um, so do you think that you know will will you sort of be expected to do a fifth book? like fairly quickly after or do you have are you going to have like a year off or I'm just going to play it by you really we'll see what happens um I think it's so hard isn't it to know what you'll feel like um and and how it will be and even just to imagine so um yes we will take it as it comes I think I think you've earned a break because a year is a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but I think it's nice to be able to like have that flexibility as mm. well and say, well, we'll just see because yeah, you could get this insane creative burst and be like, right. I have to write this book. <laughs> but you know, it's nice not to have the pressure of that mm. really because yeah, you could never know how how you're gonna feel. But that is such lovely news. Oh, thank and you. Yeah, how wonderful we're really excited it's an exciting time and I'm also feeling grateful that um I I felt very I was very very nauseous for the first uh sort of 12 to 14 weeks of the pregnancy which is always the bit you can't tell people so I was sort of having these meetings with my publisher and they could I could see that you know I was I was sort of frantically immersing myself in book four because I really wanted to get ahead with it and and um you know, I was kind of talking to them about it and you could see them thinking like, wow, that's really ahead of the game. <laughs> and, and there's, me, there's me with like the sick bucket just out of view on Zoom, like kind of thinking. And it was a relief when I could tell them and we could talk about it. You know, it's uh, it's that that first stage is tricky. But yeah, I'm very grateful not to be feeling sick anymore. Uh, I um, It's really it's really lovely. It makes it a lot easier to write when you're not sort of thinking about vomiting. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we be cheeky and ask if you can give us any clues about book four? Oh, I wish I could, um, but I am keeping completely, I'm, I'm sharing nothing, no secrets, um, but we are hoping <laughs> to be able to tell a little bit about it, maybe may, maybe in the next month or so. Um, so yeah, and and yeah, there's a, there's, I'm really excited about it. There was a particular moment with this book where an idea just sort of literally fell out of, it just hit me on the head like it was like it came from nowhere and I listened back the other day to the to the voice message that I sent to my friend on whatsapp when I had the idea and my voice is is shaking with excitement because I'm so excited about it so that's how I feel about this one. Oh, that's, that's great wonderful that's always a good sign yeah that's 
amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Yeah, such a lovely chat. Thank you. Um, so as we said, the road trip is out on April 29th, which is, you know, a few days after this episode airs. So make sure that you go and get a copy of that because it is wonderfully fun perfect summer read when you're in the UK and perfect escapist read in Australia's winter (laughs) can you just let us know where to find you online although I'm sure I'm sure people will be able to they're probably following you already but where can they find you online? (laughs) so I'm on Instagram Beth O'Leary author and Facebook as well and my website's uh, betholearyauthor.com fabulous thank you thank you so much thank you for listening to better words you can chat to us on Instagram at Better Words Pod. And follow me, Michelle, at Unfinished Bookshelf. And me, Caitlin, at Just a Bookish Babe. If you liked this episode, please share it with a book loving friend and leave a rating or review. Bye.